This is episode 52 of the Renew the Arts podcast. Is art a ministry, a hobby, or a profession? Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We're your hosts, Michael Minkoff and Carly Tate and Jimmy Smith. Our motto at Renew the Arts is liberate Christian creativity, and we're doing this through cultivating Christian communities in and through the arts by inspiring art patronage and supporting artists. If you'd like to join our community of monthly donors and contribute to this podcast, please visit renewthearts.org forward slash donate. If you want to join the Porchlight Network and begin your journey into patronage, go to app.porchlight.art and sign up as a host or a tender. We are here today to discuss really the difficulty and struggles of making it as an artist. And uh, we're going to focus this conversation by talking about art as a ministry, a hobby, or a profession. And uh, so I have with me today Carly Tache, who is a musician from Asheville, North Carolina, who we're currently supporting. And we've had a couple of different singles that we've done with her over the past um, couple of years. And now we're trying to do a full length project. And we've got a Kickstarter running for that project right now. So if you'd like to support it, and even if you wouldn't like to support it, you should check it out and, uh, and get into it because <laughs> it's really good and it's worth... Uh, worth supporting. And we've also got Jimmy Smith, who is a producer on that very project, and you've probably heard his name or about him before, because in our deep dive episode for Warbler's Wrestling, we brought him up a couple of times because he was one of the producers on that record. He is the founder and the operating engineer and producer and business manager and administrator and guru over at Clubman Recording <laughs> Studio in Blairsville, Georgia, where we do a lot of our projects for Renew the Arts. So they're here with me today to discuss the life of an artist. Is making art a ministry? Is it a hobby? Or is it a profession? So the first thing we want to talk about is if art is a ministry or a hobby for yes. you. All right. And so, <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we really got to discuss around it a little bit, too, because it's hard to, to know exactly where to enter into this conversation. For a lot of artists, they have a great struggle. They have this conflict between making their art or trying to pursue financial stability for their family. And that tension there is so difficult for so many artists, and I hear it so often, that I wanted to have a whole podcast talking about that particular issue. So let's start talking uh, at first about art as a ministry or a hobby. So Carly, tell us a little bit about your pursuit of music. Well, I started publicly performing my original songs around the age of 15. And I had like that hard sort of reality check pretty early on where, you know, I started doing this music thing. I was getting really good feedback. And then I had these huge dreams like, well, if I can dream it, I can do it. And I'm going to be a superstar or whatever. It's really easy to think that there's just one like path to success because we see all these biopics of these superstars and we see how they got discovered at some dive bar and then you know, they had this big incline and then a decline and now they're household names. But um, it really doesn't work like that for most people. I've not been able to stop making my art. So that's one thing. <laughs> so like I went through high school, I went through college. And so here I am, I'm 31 years old and this like, will this ever be sustainable? And when you don't have financial, a lot of financial success or support in your art, but you want to keep doing it because you you basically have to keep doing it. You 
have to kind of get creative in other areas, especially nowadays in this gig economy. I have an office job. I work three days a week at an office doing accounts payable work. And then I also, about four years ago, discovered voice acting. Mm. So that's been a really great way for me to not be stuck in a nine to five office job every week. Um, and I've, I've just kind of created this very customized life around my art so that I have enough. I might not have a lot of money to support what I do, but I have a lot of a lot more energy and time now to make my art, um, which I think can be equivalent. So if I was making a lot more money, I would probably outsource a lot of the things that I spend a lot of my time doing now. But it's actually been a really good opportunity to get better at certain things like video editing. And, you know, I just I know that I'm the kind of person that if somebody offers me free help, I will take it. Mm -hmm. So um, when I don't have that option, it's it's kind of forced me to get better at other things. Yeah. but it's been nice because it it's also another outlet. So right. does that right. answer your question? Yeah, in a lot of ways it does. Um, and we'll talk about a lot of that more in just a second. Jimmy, mm-hmm. you obviously have a, a slightly different perspective on this because rather than just the experience of one particular artist, you're actually interacting with kind of a string of artists. The majority of the artists who come through the studio, I would imagine, are not already making it. Right. And uh, oftentimes you're being put in a position where you have to make certain sacrifices in order to make it happen because you believe in the work. Like, what does that what does that look like for you? I mean, that that's not something most people probably think about. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that that's an interesting question. Um, I think I would start off by just pointing out that for me, is music a ministry? Is it a hobby or is it a profession? I would say it's not a hobby. I've never had to struggle with those three. For me, it's always just been, is it a ministry or is it a profession? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't ha- I don't have hobbies. <laughs> um, I, um, I kind of just dive into like really specific things and just do those things. And I've always been kind of inclined to make things that would be hobbies into professions, if that makes sense. Right. Y- you know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. can, um, right. If I can, right, right, which that, you know, that's a whole nother conversation there. But for me, I've always been into music. I've always listened to a lot of music, but I never played music until after I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. And the motivation that I had to actually play music was originally ministry oriented. Like it wasn't something that I was just trying to do as a hobby to kill time or, or whatever. It was actually something that I felt compelled to do uh, I guess called to do, you know, right. like it felt more like a vocation. So a lot of my struggle has been trying to balance, like, what does it mean to be in music ministry? Mm-hmm. Uh, because most in in the church scene, what you're going to run into is people will say, "Oh, well, if you're called to be a a musician and be a Christian, well, here's the form that you need to fit into in order to do that." So what does that look like? Well, it looks like you need to learn to play these specific songs and you need to sing in this particular way and act in this particular way. And, you know, and you kind of like, you, you kind of get trained by people that are not musicians on how to be a church musician. And that is like your, your uh, destiny is already predefined, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the big challenges then in that would be you might be trying to pursue music as a ministry in a secular space. 
right, and a right. lot of Christians would say that pursuing music as a ministry in a secular space is, in a sense, not allowed. That the only that music as a profession is a secular space. Music as a ministry must be in a sacred space. So if you're not a worship leader or making praise and worship music, well, then you need to just understand that what you're doing is a profession. And if you can't make it professionally, then treat it like a hobby. And so the mm -hmm. idea of like ministry in a secular space is just absolutely out of the picture from the get go. And you have tons right. of people that end up kind of in the vice of that. So I naturally pursued, you know, being a worship leader in churches. And that never really clicked for me. It always felt like I was doing something that was abnormal to my nature. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I was pretty good at it at, at times, I guess, outwardly, but that it just was not what I'm supposed to be doing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So so for me, a lot of a lot of what I have struggled with is what does it mean to be in music ministry? And I know that I that I was correct about the vocation that I'm called to be in music ministry, but I have been, uh, I was incorrect for many years as to what the form of that actually looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like how does that actually manifest? Um, so coming kind of full circle with what your question was, the, the path that I have found myself on has been um, in the recording and engineering and production and actually building a studio and in doing that, it has actually, it has actually become more of a ministry than I ever had before. It's just not the way that I ever would anticipated a ministry would function. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> so like, it, like serving people, making sacrifices, recording projects that need that need to be created and deserve to be served. But the you know there's not a large budget you know we're we're um, you know the, the artist may stay at our house and mm -hmm. you know different things like that and there's not a guaranteed audience on the other end either no guaranteed audience you know we're not gonna like gonna make money on the back end <laughs> you know or something like mm -hmm. that you know you know and and the reality is 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 the very community that we're expecting to reach for this is probably going to reject the project altogether just because it doesn't fit into that predefined mold that has that I was talking about earlier. It's like, well, this 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 can't possibly be Christian music. This doesn't sound like Hillsong or this doesn't sound like like Chris Tomlin and and Absolutely. Yeah, that is the actual conflict too for a lot of Christian mm -hmm. artists. Um, that they don't fit into one of those predefined sacred ministry roles uh, in the in the way that they're trying to pursue their music, but they're also probably making things again, that are not going to be accepted in either environment, in either arena, either right. in the, you know, unbeliever, whatever, uh, audience or audience of believers. And what's interesting is, and I've, and I've talked to a lot of Christians in the church about this. In fact, this has been one of the central things that Renew the Arts has been attempting to educate people about, is that if you look at the art that's actually included in the Bible, the vast majority of it would not have been made if marketability was the primary, uh, you know, obstacle for its being made. Um, yeah. So, for instance, if you're like, if your main metric is marketability, think about the poetry of the prophets, the, uh, the you know, the Psalms, the, I mean, even if you just take all the narratives and the stories and et cetera that are in the scriptures and you say, who, who would actually fund these in their time? You know, so like if you have an oracle against Babylon, is Babylon going to pay for that? 
if you have an oracle against Jerusalem, is Jerusalem going to pay for that? Um, if right. you have a rebuke or a reproof or a warning of judgment, who who wants that? Who wants to pay for that? Like nobody does. Does that mean that the prophet should be like, oh, I guess there's no market for my art, so I should just quit? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that's the attitude that a lot of churchgoers have toward artists in their midst. Seriously, hear this story all the time. If you can't make it, then just treat it like a hobby or give it up. And and when they say yeah. can't make it, they mean can't make it in terms of like can't make something more marketable. And a lot right. of artists can't make marketable work in an honest and genuine way because that's not the art that God's given them to make. And so it's this actually really strange thing where you'd think it'd be ministry within the sacred space or professional art in the secular space, but it actually just ends up being professional in both spaces and ministry gets edged out altogether. Mm-hmm. That there's Ooh. no place where ministry actually functions because if you can't make it, then you can't make it. That, I think that's one of the major issues. And, and aside from that, the lack of support also puts people like Carly and you in a situation where you have to make personal sacrifices in order to continue making the art that you're making. And, you know, the proverb says you should not show partiality because a man will sin for a piece of bread. You know, that's the, that's the reason mm-hmm. why is because a person will transgress for a piece of bread. So if you actually financially incentivize uh, making the kind of work that you haven't been given to make honestly, then you're incentivizing dishonest art. And mm-hmm. if I'm looking at the major scene within the church art scene, right, I'm seeing, well, that's, a, that's obviously a problem. I mean, that is a mm-hmm. problem, that a lot of it is, there is dishonesty. I mean, you, you see all of these artists who end up apostatizing and all of this other kind of stuff. And it's like, why why, do, why were they apostatizing? Why did they reject the faith? Why, well, because they were never believers in the first place. And then you force them to be dishonest about that for 20 years. And then eventually they just mm-hmm. got honest about it. And you're like, where did this come from? It's like, well, it was there the whole time. Um, you just paid them to fake it. And... Um, so, so I think the ministry in the arts is actually jeopardized by the system we currently have. Um, but I also think that good art is also jeopardized in the, in the professional uh, scene as well. And that's just not, that's not actually just my perspective. Um, like Carly, I'm sure, and you can, you can talk to this, please do. Uh, do you feel like success in art as a profession is more of a lottery or more of a profession? Like making it, is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I was just listening to the Good Patron podcast the other day, and somebody was quoted as saying that one of their songs had, across all streaming platforms, had 37,000 listens Mm. on one song. Mm -hmm. And with the amount of money that he was able to get from that, he could have made more selling three hoodies. Mm -hmm. And I just think that (laughs) says a lot, Mm -hmm. because like I've never had that many streams on my music. I would be so honored. And, And in the world's eyes, that's actually not a lot. So it's really like there doesn't seem to be much of a middle ground. It's like you either are huge and you're making you have millions of streams on every song or you're or you're struggling to survive to make the art. Right. That like the only people that are getting rewarded are the ones at the very top and Mm -hmm. um, everybody else is (laughs) struggling. Right. So if you're going to give some encouragement to artists who are attempting to be honest about what God has given them. They're trying to support themselves financially Mm -hmm. because everybody needs to eat. 
and yet at the same time they're wanting to uh, make this art that God has given them, which may not be marketable. Um, mm-hmm. How what what's your encouragement for them? Well, I am preaching to myself here every day, but just trusting God that He has put you here for a reason, and that your art does matter, and that if you're if you're in alignment with Him, then like your your life has a plan and a purpose so just keep making the art and keep earnestly seeking truth and persevere i guess right i, I don't know if that's very encouraging but it's just i guess it's a matter of just trusting your art is a gift and you got to keep doing it so just do it in whatever way you know how right and we'll talk about some strategies for that a little bit later. Um, and if we don't circle back around to it, you guys can just remind me with the word tent making and we'll get back and, <laughs> and talk about the concept of tent making and, and why it's so important for artists um, and really actually for honest pastors as well, uh, for anybody involved in, in like in in the mm-hmm. ministry as a, as a vocation, as their whole life vocation. One issue that I see a lot with the ministry versus profession question is a lot of people what they actually want to do is they want to be a professional musician, uh, but they kind of camouflage it and disguise it as a ministry, if that makes any sense. Why would um, they do that? Um, well, I don't know if they even realize that they're doing it. So you could want to be a professional musician, for instance, and you, you could be a, a piano player, a guitar player, and you are a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so you would prefer to play Christian music, you know, or you would prefer to play music, you know, hymns or whatever, you know, music in church and things that glorify God. Like that's just, but your end goal really is to be a professional musician, okay. if that makes any sense. All right. Like that is a completely different statement than to say, I am called into ministry, like I am called to be a minister, and mm-hmm. when you start when you start conflating those things those two things together, I think it it can actually be quite dangerous. And what a lot of people do, especially in Christian music right now, is they want they say that they want to be like they they present everything as if it is this ministry, but really what they're just doing is they're just they're just pursuing a career. And it's just convenient for them to be playing Christian music for whatever reason that may be. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I can think of some reasons why that might be that way. And that is that I think it is easier, actually, in terms of the standards. The standards uh, are much lower. The standards yeah. are much lower within the church because of the fact that it's this mixed ministry situation where if you go up and you sing a, a special song from God really, really, really badly in a worship service, but everybody loves your heart and loves your spirit, then no one's going to be able to come up afterwards and be like, hey, so, you know, I know that you were in the spirit and really just giving it everything you got, but that just was really pitchy and the timing mm-hmm. was terrible. And, I, I, you know, you should probably get voice lessons before you get up there again. You know, everyone's to be like, oh, you are just get out of here with that attitude, with that, you know, pharisaical, legalistic, controlling right. kind of abusive attitude, you know. But that means that a lot of people who maybe don't have what it takes to make it, who don't actually have a great deal of skill, can, like you said, mm-hmm. camouflage that mediocrity by just trying to make it within the church and then shield themselves from critique because mm-hmm. it's a spiritual service. So how can you critique my prayer or whatever, you know, that kind of a thing. And and it, it could even be more surface level than that. Like, like you could actually... Um, I, I know someone in particular, I won't, won't say their name, but they, they even were telling me, you know, a while back that um, they've started promoting their music to, um, you know, to Christians 
just simply because they responded to his voice and his look. He kind of has like a clean cut look and things mm-hmm. like that. And he he doesn't he's not in it for ministry. It's just like well, when this pers- this specific demographic is willing to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a niche market. Like I would totally understand. Like the the people writing praise and worship music right now. Like people are gobbling that up because they want to sing new songs at church. And so like those songs have so many millions of listens going mm-hmm, back to the mm-hmm. whole streaming thing. Like I'm not saying it's okay to have that be your goal <laughs> as like a Christian praise and worship artist, but like I can understand why that would be a tempting thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey there, Renew the Arts podcast listeners. We'll get right back to our discussion of the arts as a ministry, hobby, or profession. But first, I want to ask you to do something tangible to help Carly. Her Kickstarter is a little over halfway to the deadline, and it's close to halfway to its goal. Will you help Carly get all the way there? Whether you share about it on your social media, or send a text or email to your friends or family, or pledge $5 or $15 or more, every little bit of effort makes a big difference, and we cannot tell you how much we appreciate your support. Go to www.kickstarter.com forward slash projects forward slash Carly Tage forward slash Insomni or just go to the link in our show notes and see how you can get involved in making Carly's goal a reality. We are so grateful for your partnership as we cultivate Christian communities in and through the arts by inspiring art patronage and supporting artists. If you think about like like a missionary, for instance, so I, I know some missionaries that have made a lot of money being missionaries. They're very business oriented, right? And they have made a lot of money and they've retired. Um, there's a big difference between that and like a missionary uh, from the 1600s who's going to South America and knows he's going to die more than likely. <laughs> You know, he knows that there's going to be a lot of sacrifice. He knows that there's going to be a lot of suffering, but he does it anyway. He has to do it because this is what God has called him to do. And in that process, though, in the sacrifice and in the suffering, that is that is the sanctification process that actually makes it holy. For instance, with me, I've learned that when I'm willing to put in the extra work to serve an artist and when I'm willing to put in extra time, you know, when I'm willing to, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not going to be paid to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, my family is on board with it. And as a family and as a group, we, we sacrifice and we serve. And in that process, I've learned that the ministry itself has become uh, more and more sanctified, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And we become more holy and we become better. It's a completely different attitude or a completely different perspective than, say, if I just wanted to be a professional producer. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with wanting to just be a professional and have that be a career path. But when you start trying to mix the two together, what you end up with is you end up with churches that are run by people that are looking for a career path instead of a, you know, broken heart before before God. Mm -hmm. Genuine calling, exactly. And And then they are going to just immediately pass that on down to the worship team or down to the musicians because that kind of culture or pathos that just exactly kind of, yeah. that that entire mentality that entire culture because then just something as simple as are we going to allow this musician to play in our church and and uh promote you know promote their art the decision would probably be made by simply asking the question well are they successful you know yeah you know here here's an artist that you've never heard of 
and uh, you know the they wouldn't even be able to recognize if the substance is worth it. They would just look at well, yeah, they have five million streams on Spotify, and Correct. you know, they, you know, so yeah, they they sound great. You know, we'll we'll bring them in. Does that make any sense? It does. It's it's really complicated though. I have a couple of thoughts on that, and it might even feel like pushback. It's fine. So I taught high school at a Christian school, and it was a huge amount of work. You're constantly on call. You're spending all this time in preparation. You're dealing with all of the emotional and spiritual conflicts and tensions of dealing with teenagers. And that's just aside from the hours of lecture and and grading and all that other stuff that you're doing. And um, I wasn't getting paid hardly anything. I had tried to take the job as a way of making additional income. And in some ways, I began to feel like I was being held hostage by my love of the kids because... Um, I'll just tell you, I was getting paid about $500 a month to teach two classes. And it worked out once I worked it out for all the hours I was spending in uh, prep and whatnot. It was like $7 an hour. It was it was oh not, it, I could have made more <laughs> bagging groceries. And I talked to uh, one of the people who were on the board about this. And this is how he responded. He said, we want our teachers to view this as a ministry. And if we were to pay too much then we would attract the kinds of people who just want to be here for the money. And we want only the kind of teachers who will hear, who will be here and be good teachers even without the money. And so this is actually like a strategy to actually capture, in some ways, uh, ministry-minded teachers. Whoa. So I, I, <laughs> I understand where he's coming from in some sense, in that I do love to see people who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. But... At the same time, I don't want to be the cause of that sacrifice. I don't want to be the one who is the one forcing them mm-hmm. to sacrifice. I don't want any missionary to have to make a sacrifice financially in the support of his family. A- if a missionary makes a lot of money, he might be a charlatan. He might. Or he might just be a well-supported missionary. Right? <laughs> and that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. This is, brings us around actually really nicely to the issue of tent making. So Paul goes on his missionary journey with Barnabas when he first becomes an apostle to the Gentiles, and they bring along with them John Mark. Uh, Oftentimes, ministry teams would go out by twos, as Jesus had told them to, and uh, oftentimes they would bring along with them somebody who was responsible for, you know, making sure that they had a place to stay that night, making sure that they had support, and that person, whether he was, you know, going and, and lobbying for voluntary support or actually physically working to produce the wealth they needed to buy food... Um, that it was a very important part of freeing up the missionaries to do their direct ministerial work. Because if the missionaries had to do the work of actually providing their own food and lodging, that would take time away from the direct ministerial work they were actually on the, on the mission to do. And um, so Paul and Barnabas went out with John Mark. John Mark got homesick midway through the journey and went back home and left Paul and Barnabas in the lurch. Uh, in that they didn't have anybody to support them and to help them find lodging and food. So they had to take away from their ministry time in order to make that happen. Paul was really upset about this. I'm sure Barnabas was also upset about this. But later on in another missionary journey, John Mark had a change of heart, decided he wanted to give another shot going out and being a you know ministry aide and helping them. And so Barnabas was like, yeah, let's give John Mark another shot. Paul says, meh. I don't want to give John Mark another shot. He like I don't I, I can't we can't be out there on the field and then, you know, have that loss of support like we did last time. 
what ended up happening is for strategic reasons, Paul oftentimes had to make money for himself, like whether he got abandoned mm-hmm. by John Mark or didn't have the support he needed. Um, or sometimes for, for reasons of the people that he was ministering to, he felt like it would become very complicated or very quid pro quo um, if he took their support. So he refused support. So for instance, the Corinthians who were very rich and very well-to-do and were very elitist and had issues where they thought that you know money was everything and status was everything. Paul wouldn't take money from them. Uh, so when he went and ministered to the Corinthians, he was very straightforward that he didn't take money from them because he didn't want them to mm-hmm. feel like he owed them something particularly based on the amount of money they gave. So that, you know, hey, Paul, I gave you that $1,000 gift. Why aren't you coming and praying over my mother-in-law? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff where right, it's like they, right. they viewed it in such a transactional way that he refused to allow his ministry to be captured by those kinds of metrics. And instead, he literally made tents and sold them in order to support himself so that he wouldn't take anything from the Corinthians while he was ministering to them. And so that's become sort of a a paradigm for some ministers and pastors and other people who are involved in ministry work that they sometimes have to make tents, which isn't involved in ministry, but important for supporting their financial or physical needs. With artists today, most artists that are are Christians and want to be honest and genuine, they're not trying to like kowtow to the market or the algorithm, they're trying to make whatever God gave them, even if it's not marketable. Those kinds of artists oftentimes have to have a secondary job, like you, Carly have a secondary mm-hmm. job that where you provide for your bill uh, paying, you know, by doing this other thing, even though that other thing takes away from the time, energy, etc., that you mm-hmm. might might be devoting to your ministry if you were better supported. And right. um and in some ways you want to protect the ministry from support. If that makes sense. In the same way that Paul wants to protect his ministry from support, you're wanting to protect your ministry. You don't want it to be the situation that you end up being beholden to an audience to make only what they want in order to continue their support. Right. Right. Um, so, and the, and this is the thing though, is that Paul's saying that's not an ideal situation. The ideal situation actually, and he says, a laborer is worthy of his hire. In Corinthians, he actually makes a claim to the Corinthians that if I provide spiritual service, should I not receive physical service from you he actually says that explicitly um so you have this thing where it's like the artist should not actually have to sacrifice his material well-being in order to do the work that god has called him to do in service to the church it should not be Mm -hmm. the case but it is Mm -hmm. right and so what ends up happening is in my opinion the church is putting artists in a position where they are forced to make their art either a professional or market-oriented work. But the problem with that is that even in secular professional circles, this destroys the integrity of the work. I wanted to read a quote to you guys from Joni Mitchell about this very thing, and it's interesting the overlap that there is between her experience and the experience of a lot of artists in the church. Um, So Joni Mitchell said, I heard someone from the music business saying they are no longer looking for talent. They want people with a certain look and a willingness to cooperate. And I thought, that's interesting, because I believe a total unwillingness to cooperate is what is necessary to be an artist. Not for perverse reasons, but to protect your vision. The considerations of a corporation, especially now, have nothing to do with art or music. That's why I spend my time now painting. She, Joni <laughs> Mitchell uh, mm-hmm. totally dropped out of the music business because she couldn't do the music business and protect her vision. 
Now, notice that's really interesting. She says, like, protect mm-hmm. her vision in the same way that right. Paul is trying to protect his ministry from the in- intrusion of, you know, money. Yeah. It's like what, what we were saying earlier about the the lottery and, mm-hmm. like, only a few at the top really are getting a payoff for what they're doing and able to sustain themselves. But that makes it, like, they're more accepted by the masses for that reason or vice versa. So then it's... It's this type of art that is acceptable. Have you to seen everyone. that in the it's church like this too? Shiny. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, you. I don't know if I've ever been to a church service where the music being sung there is written by the person singing it. Mm-hmm. Which is really weird to me mm-hmm. because there's a lot of songwriters out there. <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah. it feel it seems like especially with what we're talking about, like church service, praise and worship music, it needs to be like condensed down for the people who are not musically inclined, who want to worship. Like they need to be kind of spoon fed. Like it needs to be a simple enough melody and simple enough words that they can follow along. I know people who are just the most earnest God seeking people and they are completely tone deaf. And I've been to church services with those people and I've led my music at like house gatherings and they can't keep up with it because it's it's more alternative. Mm-hmm. And they, so, but that's okay. Like they can just listen. But I don't know. What I'm trying to say is, I don't want to say dumb down, but it has to kind of be for everyone. And yet, you know, I mean, I go I I go to a church where the majority of the worship music is is hymns, and I mean, a lot of those melodies, a lot of those songs are are. I wouldn't say Complex. that they're simplistic. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say in some ways they're simple. I think there's a difference between simple and simplistic as well. And mm-hmm. I think that there is an inherent, this is just my opinion, but I th- actually think there's an inherent elitism in the forwarding of praise and worship music. And actually, in general, there's a difference between serving the congregation and pandering to the congregation. Why don't you teach the people how to sing? Why don't you teach the people a little bit about right. music? You know what I mean? Like, that's your job. It's just they're not used to being challenged, so we just assume they can't be. Right. But oftentimes they like it. They enjoy that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. And then once you can really nail it on those multiple parts, I mean, it's so much more enjoyable. I think there's an attitude among those executives and those min- administrators in those churches. They're not the ones that were actually in front. Like you said, the guy who sings the music isn't the one who writes it. He's oftentimes not even the person who... Um, selects it the the mm-hmm. the the bureaucratic administrative leadership team selects the music and he's just like kind of christian karaoke guy up there but i also <laughs> don't think that artists generally speaking have a whole lot of uh, agency even inside the music business in general um, they feel kind of beholden to the needs or the tastes of the tastemakers and the tastemakers are oftentimes not making aesthetic decisions they're making business decisions that's what I keep thinking is a lot of this, it, ultimately it does come down to a business decision, even within churches, right. you know, and because, because really the ultimate goal is to get attendance up so that you can get more offerings and, you know, pay the bills and, and it, it just comes back to the number. It's, it almost comes back to like, how many products can you sell? Which to them is just how many people can you get in the door? I don't think that that's not every church, but that does play a huge part in it. And that influences the song choice because there's just this inherent fear that like people won't understand that this will be too much, it'll be overcomplicated, 
uh, you know, this music is not going to be quote unquote poppy enough or whatever, and then people will leave. Right. And it all revolves around that, you know? Right. So I think we've got it like backwards. I think that artists should be supported so that they can make the art that God has given them. Right. It's on us that -hmm. there are those prophets and those musicians and those artists out there on the fringes of the church not receiving support. That is on us. Even if it's for their sanctification, even if it makes a great story of perseverance, the world against Athanasius, Athanasius against the world kind of a thing. That's great. But that still doesn't bode well for the world, even if it's to Athanasius's glory. You know what I'm saying? So um, Mm -hmm. I think as a church culture, we really do need to do something about this. And I guess, you know, like Carly, what do you, what do you want to see? (laughs) Well, I'm still stuck on this concept of ministry versus profession, because I don't quite personally know where the line is drawn for myself. Like I want my art to be a profession. I want to, because I want to be able to sustain myself doing it so I can keep doing it and keep growing as an artist. So I've always seen it as a career goal, but Mm -hmm. I also see the art I'm making as a ministry because I feel this is a gift given to me by God and I have to do something with it as well as being compelled to, to just to do it because like an artist has to. Yeah. It's part of who you are. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm just listening to everything you're saying and kind of like, well, where, where is the line drawn and can it, can it go hand in hand? I think it can. And yeah, it I th- definitely can. It can, but it's going to depend, I think, on an alteration of the attitude of the average Christian. Because mm-hmm. this is actually a major problem in the church. The, I think the attitude that we have about church right now is not a very good one. But it's basically that there's a leadership team and an institutional structure that does all the work of the church. And the work of the church in these models is to serve the congregation spiritually. That's the model. You have a leadership team that you pay so that they can serve you spiritually. But in a way, that ends up meaning that the pastors and the pastoral team and the leadership team, they are the church, and there's not really much of a sense in which the congregation is the church. They're just the people the church serves. And so it becomes Mm -hmm. really ingrown Um, the money Mm -hmm. and the resources end up just going into the church to continue to expand and make more palatable or more appealing all the services that are offered in order to gain more, quote-unquote, customers, religious customers, who then come and pay their money to receive spiritual services from this team. And better coffee. And better coffee, right? Better coffee, definitely. (laughs) We're paying in order to get better services. and um, For ourselves. For ourselves, Right. Rather than having this attitude where the church is the people, it's the assembly of people who are doing the work of God, pursuing the kingdom of God and representing in the world Jesus and his righteousness. That's a very, very Mm -hmm. different picture of the church. And um, it's not a business oriented one. It's more like an organism or a family um, Mm -hmm. where uh, each person is is, is expected to contribute in keeping with their nature. So, I mean, if you're a part of a body and you're a finger, well, then you do the work of a finger. Um, so, if you're not doing your work as a finger, well, guess what? That work just doesn't get done and no one else can do it. You know, if if uh, if I'm trying to poke things with my eye, you know, it's going to be damaging to the whole body. 
<laughs> Thank you for that visual. And the thing is, none of this is unbiblical. Paul is very explicit about the nature of the church in these terms um, as the body of Christ and as each member being a member of that body. And we even talk about body members like, you know, like that, that's not that hard of a thing to grasp. But instead, I feel like we've changed the, our model or our image or our metaphor or whatever of the church in such a way that pastors do all the work. And then we wonder why there's pastoral burnout, right? And all this other mm-hmm. kind of stuff where people are being asked or expected to do things well beyond their capacities or their nature, while other people sit aside and do nothing except for just receive and, mm-hmm. um, and spectate. Mm-hmm. And that even goes with the singing. A lot of people are tone deaf or can't sing or whatever because they've never tried because they've never been encouraged to participate. Um, because mm-hmm. they're yeah. just spectators to the worship. They're not actually participants in it. And, um, and so that, that's a really bad problem. It's a major issue that I think needs to be addressed. Um, and, and it's just a cultural issue that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that we're trying to address that with Renew the Arts is through this issue of like patronage, trying to, and, and, and not donorship, you know, that we've talked about this a lot of times, which is really important. Patronage doesn't require a huge amount of money. Uh, it just requires personal investment, getting personally mm-hmm. invested. And even, mm-hmm. you know, let's get uh, real personal, Carly. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, we have a, a Kickstarter for you currently running and, yeah. uh, it's a crowdfunding pro you know, project. And, uh, one of the things that has really shocked me about this particular Kickstarter, because this is very strange. I never see this. I've run a bunch of Kickstarters and I've never seen this before and I'm just going to go and look, but I'm pretty sure how many backers do you have at the $15 level? I think one. Yeah, now that's incredible. You have 37 total backers right now, and one of them is at the $15 level. The the average is something like $250, which means- Yeah, I think I scared everybody else away with the large number of money that I am trying to acquire. Yeah, because (laughs) of the fact that what little most people can contribute, they don't think will make much of a difference. They don't contribute that little, which, you know, truth be told- uh, that's one of the major reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is I want to get this out to anybody who listens to this podcast and say, try and do what you can. If it's $5, it's $10. If it's $15, go ahead and do that on this, uh, on this Kickstarter. And, and if you can't even do that, like you really, you're just strapped all together and you're trying to buy Christmas gifts for your family and you can't do anything. Um, it would take you a few seconds to share the Kickstarter project to your social media. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's a big deal too. And it can only be shifted voluntarily. I can't coerce anybody into doing uh, voluntary service because voluntary service is voluntary. It's not coerced. Right. Um, and so I just want to encourage people that it's really important. And especially for artists, like, yeah, okay, fine. If you're an artist and you're out there and you're called of God to, to make art, mm-hmm. okay, well, then you're going to have to persevere and do it because God called you to do it. And if that means in your, that you're in the Brook Kid drawn, you know, calling on God to send the ravens, fine. Then that's what you do. If it means you got to work at Publix or Starbucks or a trash service or, you know, whatever Carly does. Uh, or, do order- <laughs> <laughs> or do a Kickstarter. Or do a Kickstarter or whatever in order to make it happen. <laughs> well, then you're going to do that because you're called of God to do it. And uh, to all those artists out there who have been given God-given work and maybe who have abandoned that work in order to try and make something more marketable, cut that out. Do what God gave you to do, be what God made you to be, and and persevere, 
and know that there's support out there and come out here and, and talk to us because we'll help you as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if you are not called to do it, I still, I would, I would still encourage you to do the exact same thing. Try to persevere, try to make your work. And when it fails and it's terrible and it's not worth it, then quit. Um, that, that the, truly, <laughs> truly seek brutal feedback and assessment, you know, brutally honest, but helpful and constructive feedback and assessment. We'll also provide that. And, uh, and then figure out what it is that you're supposed to do in the church. If it's not to be art, maybe art should just be a hobby. If in, and if you can't, if you can't make it well and you can't do it well and you don't feel like it's part of your calling, then make it for fun and enjoy it and support artists who are doing it at a higher level and, 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 and do that without, without envy and with great contentment um, because God's mm-hmm. given you another work in the, in the body. If you're not an artist at all, and you don't think you're called to be an artist at all, you still have some kind of work to do within the church. And it is particularly changing this culture that we have where artists within our midst feel like their profession, their calling, their vocation is a lottery. That is a terrible situation. Think about if you know if you were called to be like a, a, a lawyer or an architect or a whatever, and your process was really just lottery. You know, you mm-hmm. could go through all this training and all this, all of this, you know, output of your own personal finances in order to become, you know, get a legal degree and your success in it, not guaranteed at all. You know, 0.0% of you or whatever are going to, going to, going to make it and the rest of you are going to make it big and that's it. Like what other mm-hmm. profession, what other highly skilled work is like that? It, and, and we've made it like that. We have, we've made it like that. And we're forcing artists to be dishonest fakers in order to make it in our midst. And once they've made it, then we start supporting them. So mm-hmm. and another way of saying that is once they don't need our support, that's when we'll give it. So I, I highly encourage, I think the biggest difference maker here will be non-artists who are in the church uh, supporting artists in what ways they can. And if you need a reason for that, we have lots and lots of podcasts you can listen to, but I believe that the arts are, and, and the honest arts, the genuine arts made by people who are called to do it within the church, are probably going to be the greatest and most central tool in the next generation for the representation of God's truth and beauty uh, on this earth. I think that, that there's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. why I believe that, and they're very carefully studied, and it's not because that's my thing. I am passionate and zealous about this for the sake of artists like Carly and like and producers like Jimmy, you guys don't know the sacrifices that they make and they're not gonna tell you the sacrifices they make because they're humble, decent people. But I can tell you, even in their presence, that this is the case and I can look on their faces on the Zoom call and see that this is making them very uncomfortable. So I'm gonna stop right now. <laughs> stop. <laughs> but they make, they make huge sacrifices in order to continue and um, and though I do value that, and I think that they're saintly for those sacrifices, I don't think that it is going to be to your great credit if you continue to force them to be in a position to make sacrifices to do what God has called them to do. I think it's important to um, to encourage artists that are in this situation where they are, um, you know, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place, I guess. You know, they're not, they don't receive the support from the church. They're met with uh, indifference from the world, et cetera, et cetera. But they have this vocation that is directly from God. But 
it's very it's very discouraging and you can encounter burnout really really quickly and you can want to give up but the thing about like like one of the signs that you are called to do something is is like there's just something in you that just keeps propelling you to do it no matter what why don't you just stop writing songs i can't like mm -hmm. you're not teaching anymore at that school michael but you're still teaching oh i and can't no one's it. gonna yeah, you can't help it. And no one's going right. to stop you from teaching, you know? And a lot of people, especially in, in music, especially in church music, they they are, as soon as it gets tough, as soon as it starts not working out the way that they anticipated, as soon as they're not, you know, the worship leader or not the person up on stage, they just quit, you know? And that that's a really, and they should, if, if that's their motive and that's what they're trying to do, they actually should quit. Um, but... You know, when when you're called to do something, you you can't quit, and you have mm -hmm. you have to keep doing it. But it's very easy to, as an artist, to start to develop a resentment towards, quote unquote, the church. For you know not what supporting I mean? it, absolutely. And mm -hmm. and and there, you can actually like perpetuate the separation by doing that without even realizing it. And mm -hmm. you can actually start like putting yourself. Oh well, all us artists are over here in a corner, and then everyone else is over there, and we're right and they're wrong, mm -hmm. and things like that. But I can't the thing think that of any reason why you thought of this while I was talking. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> well, the, well, the, the the thing is this though is we have to take those sufferings, you know, like like we have to just it is what it is right now, and we have to take like you know God could have it a different way, and it is in a different way right now. And we can either become resentful about those hardships and become resentful about those sufferings, or we can take them and offer them up to God. Absolutely. And offer them up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think it's really important to do that. If you take the injustices or if you take the uh, the lack of understandings or you just take the hardships and you just basically like hoard them up inside of you, it's just going to rot. It'll, mm -hmm. it'll rot. It'll, it'll rot you from the inside out. But if you take those and you actually offer them back up as offerings and offer them back up, in the sanctification process, that is the thing that actually purifies your ministry and actually makes it holy and actually mm. makes it what it is. And it will actually, what I've learned at least with me is it will actually develop the ministry into what God purposely wants it to be rather than what either other people are telling you it's supposed to be or what you think it is supposed to be. Mm. And usually mm -hmm. what God thinks it's supposed to be is going to be vastly different than either, either of the other. It's vastly two. superior. Infinitely superior. Mm -hmm. But it also requires more sacrifice and it's going to require more hardships and more sufferings, more yeah. than likely. And usually it's something that hasn't been done that way before. Like there is no cookie cutter approach to that. It's like a constant checking in and like being being molded mm -hmm. by the great artist, mm. paving a new path, really. Mm. You know, artists yeah. can be proud. Artists need to be humble. They need to be open to discipleship. Definitely needs to be a union, but it's not entirely on <laughs> everyone in the church except the artists. Our artists play a part, too. No, artists are perfect. They have no improvements <laughs> to make. None. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything else to add in closing remarks? That was a great closing remark, Jimmy, and I'm very glad that you shared it with us. What about you, Carly? Yeah. I, I feel like I could say so much more, but I yeah, I like what Jimmy said, so I'll leave it there. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I am sure. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, both of you. 
Uh, I really like spending time with you two. And, and Jimmy and Carly and I have gotten to spend a lot more time together because we're working on Carly's new record, which actually I will tell you, and I don't know if this encourages you or discourages you from supporting, but we're going to try and make this happen whether or not <laughs> anybody else <laughs> supports yep. it because we think it needs to be made. So <laughs> we're going to do it one way or the other. Um, and we're really thankful to that. you. Shh. Don't tell Carly. Okay. Thank you also uh, to our listeners for coming back here every month and listening to our various conversations. And we appreciate your willingness to uh, be challenged and uh, to work through these these really huge and complex issues. After this, I'm going to play a single that we have actually from Carly's new record. Uh, it's in rough mix status, so you'll have to take that into account that it may not be exactly what it will be when it's released, uh, but it's in good enough shape for us to show you what we're working on right now. And um, it's called Prove Me Wrong, and it's on the uh, forthcoming record from Carly that is tentatively titled Insomni. And Carly, do you want to say a couple of words about the song? Well, the song, as well as the whole record, is came from a place of intense struggle with the social unrest happening all around us. And I wrote most of the songs over the last two or three years. So this song is kind of like the ultimate, like, Ugh, I'm so frustrated with the way the world is right now. <laughs> but it's also um, a message of hope and just overcoming fear and choosing not to agree with the fear. So I think it's really feisty and it's short. It's only like two and a half minutes. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good one. I hope you like it. All right, thank you. All right, so here's Prove Me Wrong by Carly Tate. Why you treat me like a second-class citizen? If you knew me, I think you'd think I'm innocent. Try and prove me wrong. Come on and prove me wrong. For someone so anti-warrior, awfully militant. You always seem so sure until the millions. Straw comes falling down. Straw comes falling down. Resisting the fear if you can hear my 
why you treat me like a second class <laughs> 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 the same <laughs> thought. 